Good morning. Take your copy of God's Word and turn to Matthew chapter 16, the 16th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. We want to look at verses 24 through 25. I will be talking on the subject of the cross. The cross, Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 25. And the Bible says, Then Jesus said to His disciples, If anyone wishes to come after Me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. For whosoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whosoever loses his life for My sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? In this brief passage you find a command to take up the cross and follow Jesus. You see the command to deny oneself. And I'm this morning going to explain the part of this passage that deals with the cross specifically. But as a way of beginning I want to ask you a question. What is the gospel? Do you really know what the gospel is? Have you decided that you are a follower of Jesus and His gospel? Can you write on a piece of paper even right now that a five-year-old could understand what the gospel is? Is the gospel something that you really and truly believe? I want you to know that uh, it, it would be an amazing thing to go into a church house and probably see if even 10% of a congregation could define what the gospel is. In the New Testament, Jesus Christ's pro proclamation and work, plus how it benefits, how those works benefit us, is called the gospel. So the gospel has a narrow definition. It is the message about Jesus. Now there are other good tidings, the kingdom of God and all of that, but specifically if you look at what we call the New Testament, the kergama, the preaching, the apostolic pr proclamation of the gospel, it focuses on Christ, who He is, what He did, and how that we receive His benefits. So if I tell you that if you come to Jesus you can have meaning for your life, or you can have peace within your soul, or that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That may be true, but that's not the gospel. Uh, don't confuse that with the gospel. That is not the gospel. Because basically, foundationally, the gospel is Jesus. The gospel is Jesus. A five-year-old can understand that. The gospel is Jesus. And what makes the gospel so wonderful, such a wonderful good news, is because of what happened on the cross. What Jesus Christ did for you and I on the cross at Calvary. And so I want to speak to you about this subject this morning of the cross. Not the crucifixion, but the cross itself. Jesus says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's what he said. He means what he says, and he says what he means. When Jesus carried his cross to Golgotha to be crucified, no one was thinking of the cross as some kind of symbolic burden to carry. To a person in the first century there in Jerusalem that watched this, the cross meant one thing and one thing only, 
certain agonizing torture. It meant for the most painful and humiliating form of death. That's what they knew about the cross. 2,000 years later, Christians view the cross as a cherished symbol of the atonement, of forgiveness, of grace, and love, but not in Jesus' day. The cross, in fact, was represented nothing more than the most agonizing form of death. Because the Romans forced convicted criminals to carry their own crosses to the place of crucifixion, bearing the cross meant carrying it, carrying the own instrument of your execution to the place that you would die, while facing the ridicule of all the people on the way to your death. So when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, he means being willing to die in order to follow Jesus. Is that the gospel you believe? Is that the gospel you follow? This is called denying yourself. Jesus said this before He said, take up the cross. He said, deny yourself. It's called an absolute surrender. Have you surrendered absolutely to the gospel? In fact, after each time Jesus commanded cross-bearing, He said in Luke chapter 9, verses 24 and 25, He said, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for Me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose and forfeit his very self? Although they call, although the call is tough, the reward is matchless. Although the call is tough, the reward is matchless. There's nothing like it. And towards the end of the message, I'm going to explain to you what the cross did for those who believe, those who have denied themselves and have taken up the cross and followed Jesus, those who truly are willing to die following Christ. Wherever Jesus went, He drew a crowd. You must understand this. Wherever He went, He drew a crowd. And although these multitudes often followed Him as the Messiah, their view of the Messiah really was, and what He would do, very distorted. They didn't see Him the right way, and they didn't see Him as the person He came to be. This was in part because the religious leaders of the time didn't recognize Him, they were unfamiliar with the truth of Scripture, the Old Testament proclamations and prophecies of the Messiah. Jesus showed up. They didn't know who He was. And there's no doubt about it that with weak preaching and the weak leadership of the religious leaders of the time, they had grown very weak followers. They thought that Christ would usher in the restored kingdom. They believed He would free them from the oppressive Roman occupiers. Even Christ's own inner circle of di disciples thought the kingdom was coming soon, as we read in Luke 19. And when Jesus began teaching that He was going to go die at the hands of Jewish leaders and their Gentile overlords in Luke chapter 9, His popularity sank. In other words, when Jesus began to really tell the truth to them that He was going to die, His popularity went south. Many were shocked, and as followers, they rejected Him. They fell away. They ultimately showed they never were of Him. And truly they were not able to put, the, put to death their own ideas. They couldn't put to death their own plans, their own schedules, their own desires. They could not exchange them for the life that He promised. 
That's the gospel. They, it is the great exchange. It's Jesus to exchange your life for Jesus. They couldn't do it. They fell away. And following Jesus is easy when life runs smoothly. We all know this to be true. It's real easy to follow Jesus when everything lines up, when there's money in the bank account, when there's uh, children doing what they're told, when your in-laws are behaving, when the dog is well, everything. When your job is going good, you're going to get a bonus. Everything makes it easy following Jesus when life runs smooth. But I want you to write this down. I want you to write this down. Our true commitment to Him is revealed during trials. Our true commitment to Jesus Christ is revealed during trials. Jesus assured us that trials will come to His followers in John 16, 33. You say, well, I don't have many trials. Well, maybe you're not a follower of the gospel. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. Jesus said those who follow Him will have trials. Are you following Him? It's John 16, 33. That's what He said. He means what He says. He says what He means. Because He said it, that settles it. Discipleship demands sacrifice, and Jesus never hid that cost. In Luke chapter uh, 9, verses 57 through 62, three people seemed willing to follow Jesus. One man came to said, what must we do to follow Him? And Jesus said, I don't have a place to lay my head. The guy went away. He thought maybe they'd be staying in the Marriott or the Radisson. To follow Jesus, things would be good. He said, foxes have holes, but I don't even have a place to lay my head. Another man says, oh, I will follow you. And Jesus said, come and follow me. And the man said, well, I have to go say goodbye to my family. I, I have a family obligation right now. I can't, I can't come and follow you right now. And then another man came and said, I will follow you. Forget these other two. I'll follow you. And Jesus said, come on, come and follow me. And he said, well, I have to go home and bury my father. To which Jesus replied, he said, let the dead bury the dead. See, their commitment was a dead commitment. They had no desire to follow Jesus. They had no desire to follow Jesus into tough times. They had no, they had no desire to follow Jesus and deny themselves and take Jesus up, take up His cross and follow Him. The evidence proved it. It didn't matter what they said. The way they lived proved what they really, really, and truly meant with their lives. There was no desire whatsoever, truly, to follow the gospel. And so none was willing to take up his cross and crucify himself upon it. No one was there in Luke. Therefore Jesus appeared to dissuade them. I think this is something a gospel minister should tactfully learn to do, is to dissuade people who would choose too quick to follow after Jesus. For example, how different from the typical gospel presentation that you hear in many places today, and sadly some believe, they respond of an altar call and they, to when it says, come and follow Jesus that you may face when you, and you may face the loss of a friend, family, reputation, career, and possibly even your life. Would you follow an altar call like that? Come to Jesus because you're going to face loss of friends, your family, your reputation, your career, possibly your even life. Yes, come follow Jesus. That is who you need to follow. Oh no, let me tell you, the number of false converts would likely decrease exponentially. Our churches are filled with more lost people than there are saved people. 
The only problem is those folks that are lost think they're saved. And that is truly sad. God knows who are His, but they have never denied themselves. They've never crucified themselves on that cross. They've never truly followed Jesus. They've never apportioned to their life the meaning of the cross to themselves. And such a call is what Jesus meant when He said, Take up your cross and follow Me. Are you really following Jesus? Or are you just following cultural Christianity? You go to church, you, you participate at, at the uh, Christian festivals of Palm Sunday and Easter and Christmas. Uh, you, 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 are, you're, you can be counted on to, to give, you can be counted on to serve, but do you do it with a heart that's for Christ? Or is it that you find your own fulfillment? Do you go to church for social interaction with people of like mind? Is that, is that what the church is for? Does your pastor have to beg you to serve? Are you willing to help him? Or does he beg to get away from you because of your criticism and griping and carping? Are you following Jesus? Is your life marked by it? All one really has to do is ask who you live with. They could tell the truth, really. If you really have, as, if they're honest, they could really tell if your faith is zealous for the Lord. But I'm going to tell you, regardless of what they say, God knows who, is his, who are His. Have you denied yourself, taken up your cross, and are you following Him? Can you sing the great hymn, wherever He leads, I'll go? Could you truly do that? Consider if you wonder if you're ready to take up your cross, consider these questions. Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing some of your close friends? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means alienation from your family? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means the loss of your reputation? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your job? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your life? Are you willing to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Him? See, a commitment to Christ means taking up your cross daily. It means giving up your hopes, your dreams, your possessions, even your very life in need, if, if need be, for the cause of Christ. And so I want you to write this down. Only if you're willing to take up your cross may you be called His disciple. That's actually in Luke chapter 14, verse 27. You truly are His disciple if you've taken up His cross. If you have not, you're not His disciple. But the reward is worth the price. The reward is worth the price for taking up this cross. Jesus followed His call to death. He says, take up your cross and follow Me. And with the gift of life in Christ, for whosoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for Me will find it, He says in Matthew 16, 25 and 26, right after this command, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Me. See, taking up one's cross is not some mystical level of selfless, deeper spiritual life. It's not some kind of mysticism that only the religious elite can hope for, or those who are in vocational ministry can, can attain. No, nor is it the, the common trials or hardship that a person's experienced sometimes in their life. It's not a cross to bear. You see, a cross is not having an unsaved husband or a nagging wife or an overbearing mother-in-law or rebellious children or even a sick dog. That's not, that's not cross-bearing. Nor is it having a physical handicap or suffering from an incurable, incurable disease. That's not a cross to bear. 
See, to take up one's cross simply means to be willing to pay the price for Christ's sake, for the call that He's laid on your life. And the call He's laid on your life is to follow Him. To follow Him. That is, it is a willingness to endure the shame, to endure the embarrassment, to endure the rejection, the persecution, and even the martyrdom for His sake. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to take up your cross and follow Him? Are you willing to take up the cross? Are you willing to take up the gospel of Christ? To the people of Jesus, of Jesus' day, the cross was a very concrete and vivid reality. It was the instrument of execution for, Roman, for the Roman government in regards to their worst enemies. Roman citizens would not be crucified. They would be beheaded. But all others would suffer crucifixion. It was a symbol of torture and of death that awaited those who dare raise a hand against the Roman Empire. Not many years before Jesus and His disciples came to Caesarea Philippi, 100 men had been crucified in the area. 100 men had been crucified in that area. And it's interesting, if I have time, I'll talk to you about Caesarea Philippi. But just a century earlier, Alexander Janaeus had crucified 800 Jewish rebels at Jerusalem. And after the revolt that followed at the death of Herod the Great, 2,000 Jews were crucified by the Roman proconsul Varus. Crucifixion on the smallest scale were, common, were a common sight, and it has been estimated that perhaps during the life of Jesus Christ, some 30,000 people were crucified in Palestine. Obviously, the extent of the suffering and the persecution varies from believer to believer, from time to time and from place to place. But not all the apostles were martyred, but all of them were willing to be martyred. All of them were willing to give their life for the gospel. Beloved Peter wrote to his fellow believers, Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeals among you, which come upon you for your testing as though something strange were happening to you, but to the degree that you share the suffering of Christ, keep on rejoicing, he says, so that those, so that also at the revelation of his gospel you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. To come to Jesus Christ for salvation is not to raise a hand. It is not to sign a card. It is not to walk an aisle, although sometimes those things play a part. It is not even to pray a prayer. To come to Christ is to come to the end of self and sin. To come to Jesus is the end of self and sin. And to become so desirous of Christ and His righteousness that one will make any sacrifice for Him. Jesus had said earlier, Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword, for I came to set man against his father, and daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. He said that in Matthew 10, 34 through 36. 
He also said, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. And if they have called the head of the house Beelzebub, how much more the members of the household, he goes on to say. Here's the point. Christ was not in effect saying to His disciples that, he, that if He, their Lord, would have to suffer many things and be killed, how could they not expect the same treatment? They should expect it. It was going to come. And so I want you to write this down. The cross represents suffering that is ours. The cross represents suffering that is ours because of our relationship with Christ. Because of our relationship with Christ, Christ does not call disciples to Himself to make their lives easy and prosperous, but to make them holy and productive. Let me say that again, because some of you don't believe that. But it's simply because you don't believe the truth. The Bible says Christ does not call disciples to Himself to make their lives easy and prosperous, but to make them holy and productive. I want you to write this down. Willingness to take up the cross is the mark of the true disciple. I give my life for the gospel because Christ gave me the gospel and thus gave me His life. Those who make an initial confession of their desire to follow Jesus Christ but refuse to accept the hardships, the persecutions, the inconvenience are characterized as the false, fruitless souls who like rocky soil, the seed of the gospel has fallen and has no depth. They wither and die under the threat of reproach and they of others, and they certainly will wither under the reproach of Christ, as it says in Matthew 13, 20 through 21. Write this down. Many people want a no-cost discipleship. We want a no-cost discipleship, but Christ has offered no such op option. There is no such thing as no-cost discipleship. Jesus' point was that those who desired to be His disciples rather than seeking prosperity and ease must be willing to endure persecution, rejection, hardship, and even martyrdom for His sake. And so write this down, to follow Christ was to embark on a path of, of adversity and maltreatment. To follow Christ was to embark on a path of adversity and maltreatment. As the Lord later explained to His disciples, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of this world, because of this the world hates you. Remember the world that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. Even they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. You really want to follow Jesus? To deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Him. Not every believer will die as a martyr, but every faithful follower of Jesus will love Christ so fully that even death is not too high a price to pay for the eternal joy because the rewards are extraordinary. All believers inevitably suffer to some degree because the world hates those who belong to Him. 
as it says in 2 Timothy 3 verse 12. Thus to take up the cross is a metaphor for being willing to pay any price for the glorious gift of life He gives. Brothers and sisters, true conversion causes a person to view the Lord Jesus and the hope of heaven is so precious that no personal sacrifice is too much. It means you quit inviting your family to your home on Sunday. So you miss church. You quit making excuses as to why you cannot belong to a local body of believers. Why you cannot come and experience part of the sanctification that comes through, through in-person fellowship with others. I could go on and on and on about that. But I want you to remember this, as the Apostle Paul explained to the believers in Corinth, for momentary light afflictions is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. Those who initially profess Christ but are unwilling to suffer for His sake expose the fact that they were never His true disciples to begin with. The Lord Himself explained it in the parable of the soils. Again, these are the ones to whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, who when they hear the Word immediately receive it with joy, and they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary then when affliction or persecution arises because of the Word immediately they fall away. So conversely, those who endure the trials and hardships for the honor of Christ prove that their faith is genuine that their faith is genuine. And again, when the Lord declared that anyone who would follow Him had to take up His cross daily, they understood perfectly what that meant. In the most graphic, term, in the most graphic terms possible, Jesus saw the calling for a willingness to endure hatred, hostility, rejection, reproach, persecution, shame, even a horrible death to say to say no to self and to say and and no to safety for his sake to say no to self and no to safety for his sake to give up their comfort so they could act with courage and follow him but there's another thing we see what Jesus says about it let's look briefly at what Paul says Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 2 he says, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Nothing except to determine to know nothing among His hearers except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He was not interested in discussing men's insights or men's ideas or His own or anyone else's. Rather, He would proclaim nothing but Christ, the crucified, risen, and redeeming Lord. Moreover, He did not preach just simply as a perfect teacher or a perfect example or a perfect man, though He was all of these. But, but rather, the foundation of all of His preaching was Jesus as the divine Savior. As the divine Savior. The apostle was not saying... He was not saying that the preacher, that he preached or taught nothing but evangelistic messages or that he expounded only the parts of Scripture that deal directly with Christ's atonement. For sure he taught the full counsel of God's Word. The full counsel as his writings make clear in Acts chapter 20 verse 27. All of the Bible 
And he ministered in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching the Word of God among them, the Bible says. But it was and still is the cross of Jesus Christ that is the stumbling block. It is foolishness to the unbeliever. And until a person accepts God's revelation in the cross, no other revelation matters. That's why you must carry the cross to accept the revelation of it. And to help a person understand the gospel, Paul would go to any length to explain and clarify the cross. That's what he clarified was the cross, but he would not say one word to modify or contradict it. The truth is that sound preaching has one great theme. True preaching has one great theme. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It is the gospel. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The phrase, I determine, ecterina, means to have decided, to have made the decision finally. And he made a deliberate decision, a strong determination to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. His theme was not Jesus is a great model for men. Jesus is a great teacher. Jesus is a man who will give you purpose. Jesus is a great example. And Jesus is a martyr. That's not what he preached. The message of Paul was Jesus Christ in His person as the Son of God. God who has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and wisdom. That's 1 Corinthians 1, 30 through 31, just right before this. And the message of Paul was Jesus Christ crucified, where he declares, I have determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And so this is the emphatic, forceful statement, the thrust of Paul's preaching was the death of Jesus Christ. The theme of Paul's preaching was the death of Jesus Christ. The message of Paul's preaching was the death of Jesus Christ. The principle of Paul's preaching was the death of Jesus Christ. And the heart of Paul's preaching was the death of Jesus Christ. He preached the cross. Have you taken yours up? Have you taken yours up? I've shown you what the gospel is. I've shown you what the gospel is. It's Jesus. I've shown you that Jesus and His apostle Paul preached the cross. But I've mentioned persecution. Many of you may believe that in the country where you live, some of the civil rights that you may be losing or the, uh, the freedoms that you have enjoyed may be diminishing. Your culture may be falling apart around you. There may be moral degradation, lawlessness. Greed is rampant. Uh, the haves have more and the have-nots have less. There's the, there is the disillusionment of the middle class. And you think that's persecution. You think that is persecution because of your faith in Jesus. It's not. That's just the fallenness of man that needs the gospel. I would wonder how many of you that are watching have been persecuted because you claim to be a follower of Jesus. Your Second Amendment rights here in the United States have nothing to do with your following of Jesus. But would you sacrifice your guns to follow Him? 
Would you sacrifice your freedom to vote? What would you do to follow Jesus? To what extreme would you go to follow Him? So many in my own country have adopted, a, they have Christianized America where they have adopted a false religion that I just call the American civic religion. And if you don't say the right thing, you get canceled. I want you to hear something. This comes from Erwin Lutzer in his book entitled, We Will Not Be Silenced. And he, he, he begins with a word of hope and then a word of warning. He said, the word of hope is that we must relearn that we are, what we already know. The Church of Jesus Christ was not built on the U.S. Constitution. The Church was launched 18 centuries before the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. The Church is not Americanism. It is not built upon the foundation of the Founding Fathers, however important their contributions are to America. There is no doubt that Christianity in America has benefited from the nation's Judeo-Christian roots, but we need to learn to survive without that support. If we respond correctly, the church can grow stronger even as our cultural support grows weaker. Frequently throughout history, the church has thrived in the midst of opposition and persecution that arise in the disintegration of culture. We're not at that place yet. And when Jesus made this statement, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, He said it when He was standing at Caesarea Philippi, the center of pagan worship. And so standing on pagan ground, Jesus predicted that He would build a multinational community and this church would neither be black nor white, western or eastern. Jesus was and still is building a community where culture and races, races meet at the foot of the cross. And we must intentionally return the churches to their own independent foundation. Now where did, where did Jesus say, upon this rock I will build my church? Look back here with me at Matthew 16. Go right back there. Now our verse begins in verse 24 today. Then Jesus said to His disciples, If anyone wishes to come after Me, must deny himself and take up his cross. Go all the way up there to... Verse 18, same location, Caesarea Philippi, the capital of paganism in all the Middle East. And I say to you, Peter, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overpower it. Right here in this context where Jesus says, follow me, He says to follow me in the darkest hole on earth. This is the armpit of humanity in Caesarea Philippi. I've been there four times. I've taken people with me. You can still feel it to this day. It's called Panyas. It's where they worshiped all the gods and it was there that Jesus got the high priestly declaration. He says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of God in the darkest hole. And we think because we here in our country may be losing some of our civil liberties or we may be in fact uh, seeing our society to degrade in an exponential way that somehow we are adrift. My friends, take up your cross and follow Christ because the rewards are excellent. Listen to me. We don't win here.
We don't win here. We don't win here. We lose. But we gain everything in eternity. The reward is great. And so what's the bad news? We need to repent. The good news is our nation, whether it comes or goes, was not built on the... The, the nation was built upon the Constitution of the Founding Fathers. My faith was not. My faith isn't bent, built on the, the Constitution or the Founding Fathers or the Bill of Rights. My gun safe, full of guns, is not dependent upon what I believe about the gospel, or my belief in the gospel doesn't depend on what's in there. There's nothing that can happen to me to take it out. Nothing. Even following Jesus means I may not have a place to lay my head. I may not be able to bury my dead. I may not be able to say goodbye to my home. But the rewards are great and glorious. And that's why Paul and Jesus spoke so often of the cross. It is why Paul preached the cross. And so I want to conclude our time together speaking to you about the glory of the cross. I think we've made the point you need to carry yours. I want to show you what you're going to carry. I want you to be encouraged. Paul preached the death of Jesus Christ. He that was his thrust, his theme, his message, his principle, and his heart. It is the reason Jesus said not only in Matthew, but in Mark and in Luke, take up your cross and follow me. It's why Jesus went and laid down on that cross. Innocently, a sinless man convicted for the, world, for, for the sin of all who would believe was laid upon him. And so it was the death of Christ that we are cleansed and freed from sin. That's the beauty of the cross. That we are cleansed and freed from sin. That we have been accepted and reconciled to God and have peace with God. It is through the cross that we are justified. It is through the cross that we are eternally redeemed and delivered from death. It is through the cross that we are delivered from condemnation. We're delivered from the curse of the law. That is death and separation from God. It is by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross that we're delivered from, from the wrath to come and from judgment. It is by the death of Jesus that we are delivered from the present evil, the corruptible and dying world. The world may die, but I've been delivered from it as I carry my cross through His cross. It is through the death of Jesus Christ that Satan's power over death and the world is broken and it is destroyed. He has no power. It is by the death of Jesus Christ that we are healed, that we're given all things, that it is through Jesus Christ that those without strength are saved through His cross. It is by the death of Jesus on the cross that the ungodly are saved, that sinners are saved, that the enemies of God are saved, that the, that the unjust are saved, that all men are drawn to Christ. The cross is what draws men to Christ. It is by the death of Christ on the cross that we have access into the holy presence of God, that the great love of God is revealed to us, that we're freed from self-centered life and to live in Christ. It is by the death of Christ on the cross that we're enabled to live unto righteousness. 
that we are taught to love and sacrifice our lives for others, most notably Him. It is by the death of Christ on His cross that our consciences are genuinely cleared so that we can serve God and bear fruit. We can bear fruit, that we can know the power of God, that we're enabled to purge our own sins from our life, that we are reconciled to men. And by the death of Jesus on the cross, Jesus Christ gained the right to be exalted as Lord of the dead and of the living. And by His death, the church of God has been purchased to which I believe and belong. That is the result of the cross. There's 30. There's one for every day of the month. All of these have biblical texts to follow them. These are straight out of the Scripture. I will tell you, when you consider these things that the cross provides, it is no wonder that it was Paul's thrust and his theme, his message, his principle, and his heart of preaching that he preached the cross. It is no wonder that Jesus said carry the cross because carrying this cross you're, being, you're carrying the reminder of what you've been delivered from, what you've been healed from, what you have been changed from, what you've been changed to, and what direction you're going. The sacrifice, no sacrifice, every sacrifice, is so small compared to the gift of eternal life. So in conclusion, in Paul's farewell speech in Acts chapter 20, 22 through 24, he was giving it to the elders of the church at Ephesus and it reflected the apostles' willingness to suffer whatever was required of him for the cause of Christ. And he says these words, And now behold, bound in spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that the bonds and afflictions await me. That bonds and affliction await me everywhere I go. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God through the cross. And a short while later he said to those concerned about his safety, if he went to Jerusalem, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem, Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, he says these three words. The words he spoke to the Corinthians, he said, I die daily. I die daily, expressing the reality that he lived constantly on the brink of death. How could he do that? Because of the wonderful cross bids me come and die that I may truly live. The wonderful cross. Write this down. There is no cross I'm sorry, there is 
no crown without a cross. There is no crown without a cross. Eternal life is so precious that those who truly seek it are willing to give up everything to obtain it. If the Lord wills, and even suffer so with joy. They can say with Paul, momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond, far beyond all comparison. This is an encouraging word to us, but it is also a word of exhortation to those who may believe they're followers of Jesus when in fact the Spirit of God is bearing witness in your heart right now. You are not. The blessings of God for you are not yes. The promises of God for you are not yea. In store for you is damnation, separation, hellfire, eternal suffering. You have the form of godliness, you have all of the perception of one who, who has been in church, but the reality of it is you have never taken the profession of it, possession of it. You may profess faith, but you don't possess it. And if you were to die this moment, you would slip into eternity, never to see your loved ones again, never to see the Jesus you thought you knew, and never to know God and the beauty of His holiness. You'll go to a place where you will see people that you thought and will agree with you. You agree that you should be in another place, but no, you will be in hell. And the great gulf fixed will be there, and if you could have any last testimony that you could speak to the world, you would come from the dead and you would say, trust Jesus. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Him. But you won't even be able to do that. You will suffer in silence and in darkness forever. You believed a lie instead of believing the truth. And the Bible says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to take up your cross and follow Him. You're going to have to be willing to go wherever He sends you, wherever He calls you. Years, years will be a life of sacrifice. Years will be a life of affliction. Years will be a life of hardship. You will not only be the enemy of men, you will be the enemy of the devil. But the glorious rewards are overwhelming. A small sacrifice indeed to live some 80 or 90 years on this earth following Jesus to spend eternity with Him for 10,000 times 10,000 years bright shining as the sun. And we will have no less days to sing God's praise than from the work He has begun. Trust Christ. Quit trusting yourself. Quit trusting your decision. Quit trusting your intelligence. 
Quit trusting anything other than the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Answer the call to believe. Answer the call to be saved. Answer the call to follow Him, taking up your cross and follow Jesus. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. For from Him and through Him are all things in Christ Jesus, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of His glory, blameless, with great joy. To the only God, our Savior Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you.